Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. 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 Chitter chatter. Chitter chatter. Shannon, sit down. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, I don't have all the announcements, but I have a announcement. And uh, Phil was gracious to let me have the mic again, so sorry for that. Um, if you don't, take it up with Phil. <laughs> um, actually, first, I want to thank my worship team. Um, yeah, they're great. Like, I, I, play by my, I play guitar at home alone, and it doesn't sound near as good <laughs> as when I got these guys. Um, and the resource that I have... Um, there, I got. I, I'm blessed with uh, resources. Like I have people to cover me, and that's not a, a good thing. And and family time is an important thing for for me. So, um, just thanks to them and all they do. Um, on to the next thing. Um, a couple weeks ago, Phil and I were talking about doing a Jesus with the skin on um, project. I guess that's what we're calling those. Um, a friend of mine. Um, he was a Boy Scout leader with us. Um, his boy was in Boy Scouts with us. Uh, in, in Boy Scouts, Brian's one of their leaders. And his um, father and mother live next door to me. His name's Jason Staley. Um, about a year ago, he got sick. And so we wanted, to do a Jesus, we wanted to do a Jesus with the skin on, and we were trying to do some research to figure out how we, we could help him. He uh, needed, a li- needed a liver transplant, and that was all in the works. He was headed over to Denver next month to start that process, and he passed away on Thursday. So <laughs> I don't know what to do other than what we do, and that's feed people. Um, and I also would like to, if you feel so um, moved, that if you have a money that you would like to donate to this family I can tell you that Lane their oldest boy is 16 years old our boy scout he's been working and his money's been going to the family Um, he's a excellent saxophone player he's an excellent boy scout leader he's actually uh, what they call the senior patrol leader in boy scouts so he is the leader of all the boys Um, and his younger sister I don't know I can't, her name has escaped me, but um, she's got to be 13 or 14, and she's like a world-class gymnast. She's um, won all kinds of awards. I wouldn't be surprised if we see her in the Olympics. Like, she's that talented, and they just lost their father. So I know, I know that we, we all know that with anything like that, regardless of the situation, there's always a financial need, um, whether it's bills, doctor bills. I don't think he's been working for a year. Um, so there's that so if you wouldn't mind if you feel moved uh we'll probably run this for a couple weeks um so if if um there's something and then miss wendy um we'll have her start looking to people to help a meal train and and get some fit meals over to them and stuff like that um but i just want to thank this church because we do this thing we we've helped people we do that you do that we get to phil and i we uh we're blessed to be here by what you guys do. So let's pray. You want to pray? Come here. <laughs>
Father God, we uh, as a family, there's a little boy and a little girl who woke up today without the dad. There's a wife that woke up with an empty spot in a bed. And our hearts break for them. Father, we see suffering. We see a family that is in need. And we don't want to just talk about it. We want to help. So, Father, please help us to be your hands and feet, to not walk by, to help them in whatever way that that is. Lead us, Father, in that that we could help ease their time of suffering, that while they are in their mourning booth, that they are not alone. So, Father, we lift them up to you for comfort, for provision. Father, we ask that you just speak loudly to them, that you shine brightly, that they would know you and hear you, that they would draw to you the great comforter, the great physician, the great healer the light of the world. Mm. We just lift the the stalies up to you right now. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Welcome to church, everybody. So uh, we got, what do we got coming up? We have uh, Bible studies coming up this week on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And then coming up quickly, we have uh, the fifth Sunday on the 31st, 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 say that very quickly, 31st, we have a fifth Sunday with communion and potluck. We're going to do our our chili cook-off. I'm not making any chili, so you're lucky. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so uh, if you don't want to make chili, bring something else, bring a dessert, bring whatever you can to share, or just show up. There's always plenty of food. I've never gone hungry coming to one of our potlucks. Absolutely wonderful. That's why we have them. (laughs) Um, but there'll be some wonderful food for that so again that's on the 31st Uh, at church we'll have the kids speak we got special worship time and the great stuff going on there Uh, November 12th and 13th is the next food bank so please uh, be prepared to help out with that and then uh, talk about our our mission so uh, uh, Rich and um, Kathleen are not here. They are off uh, down to the, the Apaches. And again, uh, with, our, with our tithe, we were able to send over $1,000 um, with them. So um, that's, that's God and you guys that, that does that. And so right now, there is a group of Christians that are down in Arizona on the reservation directly speaking to people about Jesus, directly proclaiming the gospel, which is just, that's incredible. That's that's great, great stuff. Um, so uh, please remember on the, the back of your bulletin, we have the, the tear-off tab. Um, if uh, you're not um, in touch with us or, um, you know, for phone numbers and contact information or prayer requests, or um, that's also the complaint department. It goes right to me. So if you're, you know, the coffee's bad, whatever it is, just write it on there, put it in the back of the bulletin on that handy-dandy tear-off tab, and uh, I, will, I will note it. <laughs> so... Um, we're in, uh, we're in John chapter 8, verses 12 through 21, but let's pray real quick like. You're going to need it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we have your word open in front of us, and we are gathered here together in your name. We are seeking you to draw closer to you, to gain a deeper understanding. Father, we are seeking to, to draw near to you. It's our, 
our time on a Sunday to get together with each other and to focus our, our time on you and to be equipped to go forward. Father, our hearts go out to the Christians around the world that are doing this today. They have their Bibles open. They are gathered in churches like this. They are gathered in homes. They are by themselves. Maybe they're on a mountaintop. Maybe they're hiding in secret because if they were found out, they would be taken or killed. Father, we lift up the world to you. We lift up Thailand and and Myanmar and Afghanistan and think about, it seems like our, our kids are under attack right now in our in our own country and we lift them up to you and in missions like young life we lift them up to you we lift up richard and kathleen down in arizona and then all the folks that went with them Father, we lift that mission up to you today we're going to talk about your son being the light of the world father shine bright today let the whole world see you today Let them drink from your son who is the the river of living water. We ask that special blessing in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are in John chapter 8, and we are in verses 12 through 30. And we'll start with that, and then we'll we'll jump into our our history portion. Again, we're in John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. It says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness, and your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered them, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And this made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, 
for I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many believed in him. So you'll notice that we skipped right from the end of, of chapter 7 to the kind of the first third of, of chapter 8. We skipped right over verses uh, 753 to 8 through 11. And if you open in your Bible to John chapter 8, I don't know what most of you guys, you have it in italics or is there parentheses or some kind of note on verses 1 through 11 there? And the reason about for that, right, the first thing you know is that the, there's nothing in the story that's in verses 1 through 11. It's the woman caught in adultery right there in verses 1 through 11. There's nothing in that story that is contrary to the character of God or contrary to any other teaching. That story of the woman caught in adultery is more than likely a true story. And clearly, our forefathers and other Bible translators believed firmly it's an important story that demonstrates the character of God, the character of men, and the nature of sin. However, it's a story that moved around in John and sometimes Luke. And in most of the manuscripts, usually there was some kind of a notation or a question about it. And it is not in the earliest manuscripts. In fact, many of the, those ancient witnesses do not have 53 through 811. And a few of the manuscripts include those verses wholly or in part after John 7.36 or John 21.25 or Luke 21.38 or Luke 24.53. The first commentaries about 1 through 11, they appear actually in the 1100s in the, in the 12th century. And again, I have used verses 1 through 11 as an illustration and will continue to do so. However, it's important to know it more than likely was not written by John and was not put here. The logical flow of the story ends at 7.52 and continues on 8.12. And so that's exactly what we are doing. We are moving from 7.52 to 8.12. The thing to, to note about that and to marvel about, because we, we talk about this all the time, about how trustworthy the Word is, how trustworthy the Bible is. It's incredible that we know that this was not in the original manuscripts. Almost 2,000 years ago. And yet we still have the word preserved as it was written. The Holy Spirit preserved the originals and made sure that we know, and that throughout we have known that how this was meant to be. And again, there's nothing contradictory. There's nothing against the will of God there that's in verses 1 through 11. And most of our, our forefathers, they looked at it, they said, well, this may not have been in the oldest manuscripts, but does it contradict the character of God? No. Does it create a heresy? No. Um, but at the same time, we still need to put a little note, put it in italics, and let you know that this was not in the original. That's fairly incredible to know the integrity of the text that we are reading from. The Holy Spirit preserves the text. When things might creep in or corrupt, the Holy Spirit works to make sure that we have the word as he intended us to have them. So, we're going to skip past 1 through 11 and continue with the story as a whole. So the first point for today is that there is a purpose and a pattern in John's gospel. If we were to flip back, and I've repeated this several times over the last few weeks, we would go back to John 1 and uh, John 20. Where John ta talks about, what is it? He says that Jesus is the Word. That in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And Jesus is going to talk about that. 
we go to verse 919. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That is the heart, the meat of our verse for today. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. We see that in our verse that we're reading today. Yet, this is verse 30, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the Christmas story, and we're going to read it from Luke 2 later on. But that is what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the light of the world. And John says, the reason I wrote this down, the reason I give this to you, this is like what the third or the fourth time that John has repeated this. I have to imagine there had to be you know, because he had to handwrite these manuscripts multiple times and then send them out while he was on Patmos, right? So he's writing this down. He's like, um, Holy Spirit, sir, I don't know if you realize, but we've, we've said this before in a couple other ways. We've, we've written this down. He said, yeah, write it, write it again, John. No, but I, you don't understand. I've, I've, I've written this before. This is like the, the third time that I've written this down. He said, yeah, John, they have to know. You have to tell them. Write it down again. You have to. This is so important. You can't not write this down. Write it down again. Put it in here. Has to. John says, okay. Let's write it down. Let's do it again. So there's a pattern. So we get the when. We get the where. We get the audience. Who is there in the crowd? Then John gives us a summary of what Jesus said with some quotes. And then we get the reaction. We get the the so what, how people reacted to what Jesus said. So a couple of weeks ago, where we were, Jesus has gone to Jerusalem, and it's toward the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. He has gone to the temple to teach. In today's verse, it's the last day. It's probably the day after the Feast of Tabernacles has ended. So we'll get to the setting a little bit more in just a little bit, but he's there at the end of the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's six months or so after the feeding of the 5,000, which occurred at Passover. And he stands in the temple, and he is speaking to the Jews who have come to celebrate that feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. If you were to flip to Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 44, it teases this out. We don't need to read that whole thing. The only thing I want to read from there is actually in verse 40. Um, Where is that? Do I have that correct? I might not. Yeah, it's uh, in 2340. It says, On the first day you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and, this is the important part, underline this part, and rejoice before the Lord your God, God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. It's repeated in Deuteronomy 16, 14. Same thing, it says, Be joyful at your festival. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. So keep that in your mind that this is a time of rejoicing, a time of celebration. There's one thing that we should think about because we we do this a lot where we downplay religion. We downplay those ceremonies, the, the trappings. And we do that because what we don't want is we don't want empty trappings. We don't want empty 
religion. We don't want meaningless things. So what we do want is meaningful things. What we can lose is we can lose a time to celebrate, a time to be joyful. We shouldn't walk around all the time. God didn't create us to walk around all sour and dour and and upset all the time. He wants us to be filled with joy and to take time for joy. This feast, if you can imagine, it's, it's fall. It's at the end of the harvest. Everything has been brought in. Everyone goes to the big city. They're all gathering together. It's not particularly comfortable. They've made these, these shelters, these tents. They're camping all around the city. And they've, they've come together, but it's a time of joyful celebration. They bring in their tithes and their offerings. They have meals at each night for these seven days. They have these great uh, processions throughout the city. So the first one, we talked last uh, a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, I am the living water. And there's a great picture that goes with this. So each day they would uh, have the, the morning sacrifices. But before then, they would actually have this procession, kind of a parade, where they would go to the Pool of Siloam. And just a few years ago, they found the actual Pool of Siloam there in Jerusalem. And 2018 was the first time, I think, in over a thousand years, they were able to actually do this drink libation ceremony because they found the actual pool of Siloam. So they would take these golden pitchers and they would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would draw water out of them and they would have this procession up to the temple and then they would fill these, these silver bowls that sat next to the altar from these, this golden pitcher and they would pour it out. I think we've got some slides there that, that show this. Uh, the other slideshow, Gav. So you can see this is the first time in, in 2018 was the first time I think like in over a thousand years they've been able to do this. So they actually went to the Pool of Siloam. It's been, been restored. It's a place you can go as a, as a tourist now. And so they would, they would fill this thing up and they would go and they would fill these silver bowls next to there and the, the crowd would shout. They would shout, show me your hand, show me your hand. And they would hold up the empty pitcher because they had, they had poured it out. And then they would take the water. So you can imagine they'd have the sacrifice, the grain offerings, and the, and the, um, the meat offerings on the altar. And they would take the water and they would pour it out also onto there. Now that's not in the Torah. It's not, it's not prescribed as one of the things that they must do. But it's a, it's a tradition that built up on top of it. So as part of this feast, they would do this each day. And in the middle of that, Jesus stood in the temple courts and he said what? He said, I am the living water. I'm the living water. Come to me. If you are thirsty, I am the living water. Come to me and drink. Then today, he said what? He said, I am the light of the world. So part of this, we'll go to that next slideshow, Gaff. They would, each night, they would have this wonderful lighting ceremony. So this is the model of the the temple that they have. But they had these big menorahs, these big four-bold um, lamps that, that were filled with oil. And they would actually, this was the time when they would get rid of the old priestly garments. They would use the priestly garments as a wick in these bowls to, to get them to light up. They would fill them with oil. They had these big ladders. They would fill them with oil. And each night they would light these, these massive menorahs. And it was said there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was dark during this festival. That all night long they would, they would keep these lights burning. So this is the last day of the festival. So you can imagine, and it's in the courtyard. That's why it's important. John tells us where they are. They're in the courtyard of the women, where these big lamps are. And he is standing underneath those lamps in the morning after they have been burning all night long. And he says what? He says, I am the light 
of the world. That's what he says. The point of that is to get you to feel what they felt, to see what they saw as he stood there. And he said that. He said, I am the light of the world. And where he was in the court of the women, you can uh, picture that they had these big boxes where they would receive the offerings. They were labeled for what they would go for, whether it was your regular offerings or for special offerings, whatever it was. And right off of there actually is the meeting chamber for the Sanhedrin where they would gather and have their meetings. So they're within earshot of what Jesus is saying. And eventually the leaders are going to come out and they're going to confront Jesus. But you can imagine the joy, the festival, and everybody is, right? I mean, after a big festival like that, you're kind of tired, right? You're worn out. It's been a great week, but it's time to go home. It's time to pack up. It's time to get going. And in the middle of that, at the end, the last day, Jesus stands in the courtyard and he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have eternal life. That's what he says. So the first thing is that we have to recognize that there is light and darkness. There is spiritual light and spiritual darkness. It's popular in our culture to say, I want to live my truth. I want to live my life. It becomes relative. And it's, it's interesting, and I was talking about this earlier, when we talk about how kids are being taught in school, they're not being taught that they need to become the best version of themselves, that they're not the best version of themselves right now, that they need to learn, that they need to come under teaching to become the best version of themselves. Instead, they're being taught that who they are deep inside is who they really are, and that's the best version of themselves. They're not being taught that they need to work and learn and train to become the best version of themselves. So what happens is then it becomes relative, right? I'm living my truth. I'm living my beliefs, right? Whatever that is, whatever I'm feeling right now, that's the truth. That's the reality. Instead of having a solid, having something that's objective, something that everyone experiences that is the measuring stick. Guess what? When it's nighttime, it's dark out. It doesn't matter who you are. It's dark. When the sun's out, it's light. That doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. Well, it does on the earth, right? But that's true. And it's true for everyone. It's objective, right? We can all agree we look outside. It's daytime. That is not a a created or an objective reality. So that's the first thing we have to recognize, that there is a such thing as spiritual light and spiritual darkness. There are things that are right and that are wrong. And that isn't based on you. It isn't based on your belief system. I heard this said this way the other day, and it's kind of a fun way to think about it. Even animals have a sense of morality. They did this study, it was kind of fun, where they did these monkeys, where they take these monkeys and they set them in cages where they could see each other, and they would feed them, right? And they would feed them these, these kind of plain treats. And then you know, so the monkeys would go up, they'd push a button, they would get this kind of plain treat. Well, then one time, one of the monkeys got a mango, which is a much better treat than what they normally got. And the other monkey didn't get one. And he was mad through the treat that he had, right? Morality exists 
And we have a sense of morality. Just like we have a sense of sight, just like we have a sense of smell, just like we have a sense of touch. We have a sense of something that is true, something that exists. A sense of what is right and what is wrong objectively in the world. We know it because we sense it. We know that murder is wrong. We know that rape is wrong. We know that stealing is wrong. And we know that not doing those things is right. We have a sense of something that exists. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 through 12, and it's talking about spiritual light and spiritual darkness. It says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Proverbs 2, verses 12 through 15 say, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Proverbs 4, 18-19 say, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11-20 say, Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and timbrels and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. Therefore, my people will go into exile for a lack of understanding. Those of high rank will die of hungry, hunger, and the common people will be parched with thirst. Therefore, death expands its jaws, opening wide its mouth. Into it will descend their nobles and masses, with all their brawlers and revelers. So people will be brought low, and everyone humbled, the eyes of the arrogant humbled. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice, and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. Then sheep will graze as their own pasture. Lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness with cart of ropes. To those who say, Let God hurry, let him hasten his work, so we may see it the plan of the Holy One of Israel. Let it approach, let it come into view so we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Yeah. Romans 1, verse 18 through 32 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible quality, that's exactly what we're talking about, his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We have no excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who was forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God, they know God's righteousness, they know his righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Thanks, Paul, for that scathing indictment. But it's an accurate description, isn't it? It's an accurate description of the world that we live in. There is spiritual light and spiritual darkness. There it is. I was reading in um, the UK Daily Mail. UK papers are kind of fun. They're very tabloid-ish. You could see a story about UFOs right next to a story about what I'm about to talk about. This guy, when he did an interview with a, with a Chinese soldier, a soldier who was in charge of guarding the Uyghurs, the Uyghur Muslims at the, the internment camps. Ian Burrell is the, the author. He says, this is an interview with this, with this soldier. He says, as we sat in the cafe of a smart hotel, the beefy man beside me disclosed how he beat, brutalized, and tortured scores of men and women who had been seized by Chinese security forces. There would be three officers in a room kicking and punching people, using whips on their naked backs. They used belts, which is the cruelest method. People can't last long and end up being beaten to death. The former Chinese police officer demonstrated to me their tactics with kicks and punches to an imaginary victim. Their heads and eyes would become swollen. They could not see with all the blood on their face. Some would even lose their eyes. Then we would use water to revive them. They might not be allowed to sleep for a couple of days. Sometimes the easiest ways are the worst and the most effective. Afterwards, they would go to hospital to be sewn back up. Electric batons were used on the victims, and they were special methods for women, such as placing steel cuffs tightly on their hands, then slamming them repeatedly on a table. After two or three minutes, they'd be crying because it hurt so much. Victims included children as young as 14, and their crime was to belong to Muslim minorities in Western China, especially the Uyghurs. It's not hard to see the darkness. It's not hard to see evil. So into this world comes Jesus. Into this dark place comes Jesus. Go to Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. 
she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to this Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about him and this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But the shepherds, they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So why is it so important to tell people about Jesus? Why? Isaiah 9 verse 2 through 7 say why the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder for as in the day of Midian's defeat you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders the rod of their oppressor Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Wow. Amen. When we talk about proclaiming Jesus, that's what we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming light in a dark world. We're proclaiming hope to people that have no hope. It's one of the most insidious things that we have done with our children and teaching them that America itself is a, is a bad nation. Kids don't dream about being astronauts or, or being scientists or engineers anymore. They just look around and, and they see all the negativity, they see all of the bad stuff and they go, oh, it, it just needs to all go away. They don't lie in their beds and dream about being these great heroes that they have read about in books or seen on TV or in movies. That's what we have to give them back is hope. We have to give them back the ability to dream of a great future. That's what Jesus gives us. He gives us hope. He says, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have a hard time. But there's hope and there's mission and there's purpose. And you can be better. And you can do great things. He says, I'm the light. Get behind me. Follow me. Do this. 
and great things will come. That's what we're proclaiming when we talk about being on mission. We talk about helping those around us. This is the heart of the message. Is that light has come into this world. There's so many reasons to be angry. There's so many reasons to be upset. There's so many bad things that happen. Bad things that happen to good people. Bad things that happen to other, you know, everyone. There's natural disasters and so many reasons to be upset. Hope. Jesus stands in the temple courts and says, I am the light of the world. Follow me. Follow me. The sad part is that we read about the reaction of these folks and the reaction that a lot of people have. They don't turn to him. They don't turn to him. John 3, verses 19 through 21 say, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And we see this is true. People are hungry and thirsty. They're blind. They're searching for the truth, searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for joy, searching for fulfillment. However, when the lights are turned on, they see what it requires the change, the repentance, and they crawl back into the shadows. I love this quote from Dave Ramsey. It says, some people feel the same about debt as a baby does about a dirty diaper. Sure, it stinks, but it's warm and it's mine. It's how people feel about their life of sin. Because they know they would have to put God first and themselves second. They would have to forsake the idols of this world they would have to seek some discomfort. They would have to give up some material comfort, and they aren't willing to. Luke 18, 18 through 29, teases this out. It's the story of the, the, the rich young ruler. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these things I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is the light. He walks into these folks' lives. Their sin is laid bare. Their lives are laid bare. Their idols, their hopes, their, their dreams, their fears, and their failures. All of it is exposed in the light of Christ. There's several different reactions. 740, surely this man is a prophet. We see this view a lot. 
It's very prominent in our world. Jesus was a good moral teacher, an example to follow, but not the Messiah, not the Son of God, not the Redeemer of the world, not the payment for my sin. Why? Because that way I can cherry pick from the Sermon on the Mount without having to really change myself. That's why. It's a sham of belief without repentance. If we take a low view of Christ, nothing is required of us but to be a little more good than bad. There's no life-altering commitment required. We'll table verse 41 where it says he is the Messiah. Still others ask, how can this Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? See, they don't want to believe. Why? Because of arrogance. Because of prejudice. Because of pride. And that pride, that pride follows not only the Jewish leaders, but part of the crowd. See, they have material comfort. They have a little bit of power. And they have just enough education that they believe that they're better than everyone else. Arrogance, prejudice, and pride. They're self-satisfied instead of curious. It's why the Bible says that we need to be humble. They believe they know it all, or at least they know more than others. They believe that their position is better than anyone, better than someone else's. Listen to their statements. What can come from Galilee? When uh, Nicodemus says, "Hey, we we at least got to follow the law. We at least got to give him a trial. We at least got to hear him out." They say, are you from Galilee too? No, actually I'm from Pierce, but okay. It's just pride. Because here's the thing, is that if they had actually been scholars, if they had actually looked into the scriptures, Micah is from Galilee. Elijah is from Galilee. Jonah is from Galilee. And Nahum and Hosea may have also been from Galilee. And also... They knew that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem and that his parents were of the line of David. Those records were right there in the temple. Regardless, their prejudice and their arrogance led to their blindness. This is teased out in Luke 18. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted one of the reasons why we have to restrain, we have to refrain from judging someone's relationship to God. It's tempting to judge people based on their appearance, on their, their race or their creed or their religion or their education or, or their sin. It's so easy to judge people when they sin different than we do, when they struggle with something that we don't struggle with. But that's a form of self-worship. We put ourselves in the place of God judging our fellow men. Like, we can dispense approval and grace, love and anger, condemnation. When we do that, we are just like these leaders and crowd members who condemn Jesus because of where he was from. 
Then were there, there were the fence-sitters, there were the doubters. The guards sent the guards to go arrest him. They didn't come to belief, but they didn't condemn him either. They just said, no one spoke like this man. No one ever spoke the way the, this man does. They can't commit to Jesus, but they aren't convinced he isn't the Messiah. We see people like this as well. They're half in and they're half out. They know or halfway know who Christ is. Maybe they have had an encounter with Christ. Maybe they grew up in the church or who have family who is saved. But they can't let go of the world. In Matthew uh, chapter 13, verse 18 through 23, this is the, the summary of the parable of the sower. It says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. That's those soldiers. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it. This one, who produ- this one produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus still goes, though. Isn't that incredible? He knows these people. He knows their hearts. He is relentless in pleading for their salvation. Day after day after day, going to this place, going to every place, and saying, hey, I am the light. I am the living water. Follow me. Drink. Come on, let's go. We have to be the same. We have to be just as relentless as Jesus. If he would go, we have to go. That's what he says. When he says, follow me, he says, you've got to do what I did. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's not a casual follower or a fan. Jesus says, I am, evoking that idea of God's all-sufficiency, the great I am. He says, I am the light of the world. The same God who gave you pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night, the great I am, sent me as a light. And get the imagery, because I think we're desperate for this. It's like being led out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, like being led through the wilderness to the promised land. Jesus says, come and follow me. But it requires full commitment. Commitment to righteousness, commitment to forsaking sin. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4 through 11 says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Jesus returns an indictment to the, to the crowd. 
specifically to the leaders. He says, you don't know my father at all, do you? These are Jewish leaders standing in the temple of God. He says, you don't know God. That's a harsh, scathing indictment. I put a few verses in your message map to tease this idea out in Daniel and in Matthew. If we go to Matthew chapter 16, this is where we get our conclusion from. Because Jesus said to his disciples, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done a simple invitation Jesus is proclaiming he he shouts that he is the living water he proclaims that he is the light of the world it's not comfortable to walk in the light everything is visible all the time you are constantly exposed however only in the light is there warmth only in the light is there rest only in the light is there satisfaction only in the light are you hunger, is your hunger satisfied and your thirst quenched? It's the only place. So commit this day. Maybe commit anew. Maybe commit for the first time to walk in the light. Amen? Father God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you that we woke up this morning, that we got to come to church, that we got to get together in your name. Father, we we renew ourselves. We know that we are fallen sinners in a dark world. We fall short time and time again. We fall or throw ourselves anew on your mercy. Please wash us and make us clean. That we could step into tomorrow and proclaim you we would be lampstands where your light would shine. Father, the world so desperately needs it. Father, we pray for special protection over our children, that you would guard their hearts and guard their minds, that you would speak loudly to them, that you would be the, be the best thing they saw on TikTok. Father, we just ask that you... Uh, Father, we're asking that you change the world. We pray for our leaders and for our nation and for our town, for our work, for our rest, that it is filled with you, that is pleasing to you. And if we need correction, correct us. If we need provision, provide for us. If we need healing, heal. That in the end, you would be glorified. And Father, please... Help us to cast off our burdens and to rejoice in you. That we could smile and laugh as your children. We ask all of that in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Let's go fellowship. There's coffee and there's...